this morning, <coughs> excuse me, if you'll turn to John chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 31 through 39. That'll be our context this morning. It says, But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ, or read that as Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You'll seek me, and you'll not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, what, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, you will seek me and you'll not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Verse 37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit is not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so the, the, the timing of this statement is pretty significant. So this feast, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, is uh, what's going on here. It included what's called the ritual of water pouring. And I'll deal with that quite a bit here. Uh, and that commemorated the Israelites' reliance on God's provision for water in the wilderness and then praying for rain. You know, most of us that have seen the um, different episodes or the series on The Chosen, one of the things that's really appreciated about that, that I think everybody that's watched it, is that it kind of puts flesh on the, uh, the uh, stories, the uh, the narratives that we're all very familiar with. Well, that's kind of what we're going to be doing here this morning. We're going to build a little bit of flesh around this, uh, this event here and help you to see the significance of what Jesus is really um, bringing out here. So Jesus uses this moment to reveal himself as the, the very source of spiritual nourishment, fulfilling the, the feast symbolism. Okay, so in my studies uh, for this lesson here this morning, I dived into quite a bit of, of references about this tradition. Uh, and uh, by all the references that I found, it's, it's, it is very accurate. Uh, so, uh, and I'm going to get into this here. In this Feast of the Tabernacles, also, it's also called, in the Hebrews, it's called a Sukkot. Okay, it stands for tabernacles, them, you know, the, the temporary dwellings that they stayed in while they were in the wilderness. Uh, and it's one of the three major pilgrim, pilgrimages that the, uh, that the Jews made uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, first one, obviously, being the Feast of Passover, and then Pentecost, and then tabernacles, which is what this one is here. 
And it's celebrated, it's celebrated in the fall of the year. It's the seventh month. Um, uh, it's between the 15th and the 22nd of the, of the month, which makes it eight days. So it began on a Sabbath and it ended on a Sabbath. Uh, and, and as we'll see here, uh, the significance of that as well. So um, this festival here is it's both a historical commemoration uh, and an agricultural festival as well, making it, it was at the very end of the harvest season. So it was a time that they would give thanks for a bountiful harvest that God had given to them and also an opportunity for them, uh, as we'll see in this, uh, uh, the, uh, um, the ritual of the water pouring, a prayer for the coming rains for the next year's harvest as well. Thanksgiving for what had already been provided and prayers for the, uh, for the next season. So one of the most significant rituals during this Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, and this was, it originated, it's what's called the... Um, the second temple of Jerusalem, and that's when it was rebuilt after the return from Babylon, after the return of their captivity. Uh, that's when this, uh, this feast, this, this portion of the feast, uh, the water pouring uh, uh, part, was inaugurated. It's not part of the Law of Moses, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's not there, but it, it became part of their uh, tradition after their return from Babylon. Um, now, the ceremony symbolized prayers, as I said, for the rain for the coming year, and that was obviously very crucial for them. They were very much an agrarian society. Uh, they relied on uh, the, um, uh, the yearly harvest for their, um, for their sustenance. The ceremony also had deep spiritual significance, and it symbolized the outpouring of God's spirit and his blessing upon the people. And we'll get into the verses that uh, bring this out. So uh, let me describe the water pouring ceremony, what it really consisted of. Each morning of the feast, there was, there's eight days, uh, there was a procession of the priest that would go down to the pool of Siloam. And uh, they would draw water. The water was taken back to the temple in a golden pitcher. And then the water was poured on the altar simultaneously uh, with the pouring of wine, which was another uh, libation that was a regular part of the temple services as well. So this, uh, this, this act, the, the entire week, the entire eight days, was accompanied by great, um, great rejoicing on the uh, Israelites' part. Uh, it included music, singing, even dancing. So this holiday of the Sokot is one of the few places in the scripture where God actually commands the people to rejoice during these three festivals. It's the only festival that God commands them to rejoice. So they, they took this to heart, and so this was their time um, of, uh, of great rejoicing. You know, maybe one of our holidays in the United States would, would align with maybe like the July 4th, something like that, where there would be uh, festivities, great rejoicing. But theirs was a full eight days, and it involved um, 
uh, lots of music, lots of dancing uh, in, in, the, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, particularly around the temple area. Now, um, and it's in Leviticus 23.40, I'll read it to you. It says, Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. All right? And then in Deuteronomy 16, he says, You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths, which is tabernacles, uh, seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat, and you shall rejoice in your feast. All right, so a lot of the, um, uh, the information, historical uh, information that we have uh, on what occurred during um, ancient, we'll say pre uh, pre-Christ days, pre-Christian days, is, is, uh, it's included in what's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah, uh, and there's another one called Talmud, but the Mishnah is what's uh, referred to as the oral traditions. It was compiled about, uh, 200, about 200 AD, but it included all of the oral traditions that had been handed down for years and years by the, uh, by the priest, and that's what's called the Mishnah. So in one of those um, uh, books of the one of what we'd call a chapter, uh, it describes uh, all of the festivities of the Sukkot, uh, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles. And by the way, this is uh, recorded not just in the, in the Mishnah, but it's also in the Talmud, and Josephus actually uh, refers to this same water-pouring uh, um, uh, celebration as well. So it's got lots of, uh, lots of historical evidence to it. It kind of helps, like I say, to build that, um, uh, the setting around what's happening uh, when Jesus stands up in the crowd here. So um, the ceremony was, was very symbolic on their part, uh, and the water representing God's provision for physical rain you know, physical needs for them, but it also for their spiritual needs, uh, for the law that he provided and his spirit. You know, there's a lot of references in the Old Testament when we start going back to them referring in the Old Testament, uh, relating the spirit, God's spirit with water, outpouring of water, uh, and we'll get to those verses in, uh, in just a moment. So, um, uh, well, and one of those is Isaiah 12, verse 3. He says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So uh, Isaiah is relating the water with salvation. I uh, read it again. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And this verse was actually recited quite a bit during, the, uh, during this ceremony. And it brings out that connection between physical water and spiritual salvation. So it was a very fun, very joyful uh, week uh, in the Jewish calendar. What the Jewish people would do is they would build, uh, if you remember in the, the Chosen series, there's one section that, uh, that they have them building these, uh, their tabernacles is what they're building. Uh, and they actually built those in, uh, uh, in their yards or even the... Uh, the public eating establishments would, would build temporary shelters where people could take their meals uh, outside. So uh, during, this, uh, during this week, the families, 
they would still live in their homes, but then the, their meals and stuff, well, actually, they could live in the, the tabernacle too, whatever they chose. Um, but each family would have uh, a uh, tabernacle that they would build, and they would spend some time there uh, you know, through that entire week or their entire week. So um, uh, it was very, very much a part of, uh, they would look forward to this every year uh, that um, the people that like to go camping, okay, that's what they were doing. Uh, they they were, but it was a festival uh, time that the whole na- nation would partake in this, and for the entire week they would live in these tabernacles, uh, and and it, it was a joyous time. Uh, so uh, there w- there was a lots of um, uh, inter- I don't say entertainment, but in the sense it was, it, but it was it was being thankful to God for the provisions that he had provided for them and for the upcoming blessings that they would um, uh, look forward to. So in this celebration in Jerusalem, uh, Sukkot, in in book 5, verse 1, it talks about the celebration. And what it says is the temple was illuminated with very, very large torches. And the courtyard would be filled with music, dancing, singing uh, by the Levites as well as others. And it says that the, the rabbis and other members of the community would join in these celebrations as well, showing their joy and devotion throughout the, throughout the, uh, throughout the night, uh, particularly the, the last uh, night of the festival. And then the symbol is, it actually describes the symbolism of the water in the Mishnah. It says the act of drawing water and offering it as a libation on the altar was symbolic representing prayers for rain in the coming year uh, and as well as uh, God's, uh, uh, the messianic salvation that they would look forward to. So this ceremony served as a reminder of God's past provisions for them, the ongoing presence of him uh, at that particular time uh, and in the temple worship, and then the future hope of divine blessing for them and then the messianic um, redemption that they would look forward to as well. So in the, uh, the spiritual significance of this particular uh, uh, passage here in the New Testament, how is it, how is it connected uh, with us today? Uh, in verse, um, uh, again, in uh, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, it says, during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up there. Uh, he cried out. He says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his uh, heart will flow living water. So this statement here, but Jesus is directly referencing this water pouring ceremony, offering himself as the source of water, symbolizing the Holy Spirit who would be given to Christians. Now, at that particular point, you know, we know in a lot of uh, the New Testament, Jesus would say things uh, that would be fulfilled shortly. And and in this particular passage, he's referring to what would happen on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit on the apostles, and then the, uh, the indwelling Spirit, for, uh, for those that were immersed. So he's proclaiming that he was a source of eternal life and the spiritual renewal that would go along with that. So this passage here summarizes 
you know, because what's happening, remember when I, the, the very first verse, uh, verse 31, many of the crowd believed on him and they were saying, when the Messiah comes, he'll not perform more signs. And, you know, the, the, the people are believing what, what Jesus is doing and who he, who he claims to be. But the Pharisees and the scribes are a little upset at what the, what the people are saying and what they're believing. So this, this conflict, this tension between Christ and the, uh, the religious leaders uh, is coming to a point here. Um, so it also points out the messianic expectation, if you will, uh, that he was, uh, you know, the, the Christ, you know, that he was the Messiah. Because the people are acknowledging that, that this really is true, isn't it? And the, the you know, the Pharisees are lit overhearing this, and it uh, definitely rubs them the wrong way. And, um, you know, it also points out the, uh, the idea of living waters flowing from Jerusalem. In Zechariah 14, 8, and it says, And in that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea. And then in Ezekiel 47, it says, uh, Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house towards the east, for the house faced east. So the Pharisees and the chief priest here, they're going to react kind of... Uh, violently, if you will, towards Jesus' teaching because uh, they, they send officers off to arrest him uh, because they hear the, the crowd murmuring. And Jesus responds uh, to that by indicating that he will be with them only for a little while longer before he goes to the one who sent him. Okay, So Jesus tells the crowd that they'll look for him, but they're not going to be able to find him. Where he's going, they cannot come. Well, this really confuses the people, obviously, because they're questioning, well, is he going to go to the, the Greeks, uh, into the dispersion? Okay, the dispersion was when the other ten tribes were dispersed amongst the, uh, the other nations. Uh, it was the Greek nations that they went to, the, uh, the, uh, the Gentiles. Uh, so they're thinking, well, maybe he's going to go and he's going to teach them. That's where he's talking about going, right? Because they don't really know. Uh, they're confused about what it is that he's saying. The Pharisees and the chief priest, they recognize that their authority is being challenged here by what Jesus is teaching them. Uh, he's got some growing popularity uh, in his teaching that differs just a little bit from what their understanding of what uh, the Old Testament scriptures, the, the law, is really all about. So then when Jesus speaks of leaving and being inaccessible to his followers uh, and the Pharisees, he's alluding to his, his upcoming death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Okay, They don't understand that. But it also prefigures the separation that is going to come between uh, between Jesus and the non-believers, and then uh, further down the then the um, uh, the time that he will then be associated with those that will be his followers at eventual reunion with them. So Jesus's offer here of living water it is an open invitation to all all who thirst and and it's it signifies the the universal application to what 
Jesus' message is really all about. It's not to one particular group. It's not to one particular race. So this is the, the moment where Jesus explicitly promises the Holy Spirit to those that believe in him. So this imagery that he's, that he's, that he's building on here, you know, the, um, uh, uh, of the living water is really, is really kind of great uh, because it symbolizes eternal life. Because the idea of living water, uh, that that is related, it's not a big jump to, to relate that to eternal life uh, and then the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, you know, what is our thoughts about water? Water is inert, okay? It, it, um, did you know that water was a perfect conductor, or a perfect insulator? It does not transmit electricity. When it gets impurities in it, now that's a little different story. But water is a perfect insulator. It is, it is inert, okay? <coughs> Water, it, it, but living water. Now that constitutes something different. That is eternal. When it talks about living water, so and so obviously Jesus is referring to you know the the, the Pentecost event that would be um, would be happening shortly, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. Now it also I want to get into uh, real briefly a couple of the verses, actually several of the verses in the Old Testament that bring this idea out about living water uh, and the um, uh, and relating that to salvation in the Old Testament. All right, so the first one is Isaiah thirty-two verse fifteen it says, "Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field." And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. But he specifically says there, Isaiah says, until the Spirit is poured out upon us. And then in Jeremiah 2, for the people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. So there God is, is claiming in the Old Testament that he is a fountain of living water. So this, this idea of living water it goes all the way back well into the Old Testament time. That was Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 17, those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. That's in Jeremiah 17. Isaiah 44, 3, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land. He's not talking about rain, okay? I'll pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you, will have, uh, uh, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Isaiah 48, or 58, verse 11. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And then finally in Joel, the one that you're very familiar with from uh, uh, Acts 2, shall, uh, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So these verses speak of a time when God would abundantly bestow his spirit on his people. And this imagery of water being poured out on, on dry land, on thirsty land, symbolizes the renewal of the, that the Holy Spirit brings upon uh, for the Christian. It talks about a renewal, a, a bringing forth of life. 
uh, we put, when we put all that together, it, it makes perfect sense to us. So we know that Jesus very often uses um, references every day for his teaching, whether they be objects, events, customs. They illustrate and emphasize the spiritual aspect of the thing that he's trying to teach the people. He spoke about hunger. He spoke about thirst. He spoke about bread. He spoke about water. But during this feast, the water-drawing ritual involves water drawn from the pool of Siloam. By the way, the same one that the man uh, for 38 years was paralyzed and was healed. That was a great backdrop uh, for Jesus to speak the comforting words that he does in this passage. See, our soul has a deep thirst. It's inherent in human nature. Uh, and it re- it's evident of the, you know, the continual pursuit on, on, on people's part to, to fill that void, to fill that desire. You know, the, the world's inability to quench that thirst is really a proof that our soul is divine. You know, that it is uh, of, of the, the, the origin of our soul. Not that our soul is divine, but the origin. Uh, that it can only be filled by uh, something that is spiritual. The, a new car, a new house, a new spouse. Uh, those things are not going to uh, fulfill the inner need that we have, that thirst that we have within us. So, you know, drinking from a finite source of water, uh, you know, for satisfaction, it'll lead to disappointment because eventually that source is going to dry up. Or seeking gratification from a tainted or temporary, you know, uh, source uh, only really intensifies our need. Uh, you know, if, uh, if you've ever... Uh, salt water is a good example of that. Uh, and I'll get to that analogy in a moment. So, you know, this fulfilling um, gift of God's spirit, uh, you know, what the world really fails to provide, God's spirit abundantly supplies to us. And that is peace, truth, and strength. That's what we, that's what we gain from the Holy Spirit. And those are the things that nourish us um, uh, Spiritually and, and forever. God's love is that never ending stream of nourishment to fulfill the thirst that we have. In Matthew 5 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So Jesus here declares himself as the source of the Spirit's fulfilling gifts and those gifts as I had mentioned peace truth strength okay his invitation here let him come to me echoes this earlier assurance of them for uh, the living water that he spoke about and then the conditions of receiving this blessing are designed to encourage all those who hear the gospel and are obedient to the gospel and what is the requirement faith Faith is the required response. It's symbolized by what Jesus says here, by the actions and the coming and drinking. So those are all the things. uh, It's not just understanding it, but it's also by coming and drinking. 
And this gift has got to be you know, accepted, uh, but it's freely offered, no price, no cost. And then, so what, uh, as we kind of wind it down here on this, it says on the final day of the feast, uh, the scripture actually calls it the great day of the feast. So there must have been something associated with that, the last day of the feast uh, that really made it a, um, a stupendous event. So this is the day, and it was a Sabbath, so it was, it was marked by rest. There was no work that was going to be done that day. So Jesus, having arrived, you remember earlier, he arrived quietly. He didn't come at the beginning of the feast. He came at the middle of the feast. And, he, and it says that he stood in the middle of a, of a massive crowd here. Now, recognizing, no doubt on his part, that this was going to be a pretty significant uh, uh, statement that he is going to make here. He's got the size of the crowd. It says that he raised his voice. There's not too often in the scriptures and the gospels that it talks about Jesus raising his voice. But it says in that moment, that voice, okay, that had normally spoken in normal conversations amongst, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in groups in, in a normal conversation tone, now, no doubt, echoed with power. It says he raised his voice. So why did Jesus frame his call in such a way here? So, now, don't forget where he's at. Look at the situation. He's in the middle of Jerusalem. Plenty of water all around them. From a physical standpoint, there was, there was no lack of water. They, their thirst could be quenched very easily. Um, so it's obvious that Jesus was not talking about physical water because water was all around them. They didn't, they didn't need to go to him to get water. They, they, physical water was all around them. Instead, it was tied to the meaning of the feast that they were celebrating. So this, com this feast commemorated their 40 days in the wilderness, a time highlighted, remember that, what was that 40 days in the wilderness? It was highlighted by them relying entirely on God's provision for food and for water. So for 40 years, they, they relied on God and his provision. So, this setting here would naturally lead the people to consider the deeper spiritual context, context of what Jesus is talking about. How can we find this uh, invitation appealing to us today, 2,000 years later? You know, unlike those people that live in that particular part of the world where most of the, most of the area around them is pretty arid, it's pretty dry, and most of Israel was too. Uh, there were certain areas like Jerusalem had had plenty of water, but most of us in America have never really, not really experienced severe physical thirst. You know, uh, water is pretty much available wherever you turn. So our understanding of extreme thirst might be uh, might be very brief instances at best, or dramatic tales of survival at the sea, like at referred to earlier if you remember the the rhyme of the ancient mariner where he says water water everywhere and nowhere a drop to drink he's in the middle of the ocean you can't drink salt water even though it might seem appealing it's like you know but what it does is it makes the situation worse 
when you when you drink salt water because uh, then it starts destroying your cells and you know, the salt is uh, uh, it 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 does more harm than good. So, but us today, you know, we don't think too much about uh, a a physical thirst. Uh, but this metaphor highlights the agony that some face in seeking for their spiritual satisfaction, their, to get their spiritual thirst quenched. You know, there's many promises in this world that claim to, uh, to quench our thirst, only to leave us more parched afterwards. Even as we enjoy, you know, the temporary refreshment that can quickly turn bitter, leaving us looking for a true and lasting source of satisfaction, we look for those things that that we think we are that we think we need only to recognize after we uh, maybe obtain them or on the search for them we recognize that that didn't work that, you know whether it's like I said new car new house new spouse whatever the case may be those things are not lasting but there is one that is lasting Jesus stands here at that eternal fountain inviting all who truly thirst to come and forever be filled by his living water and that's what we have to look forward to today is that that when he stood up and made that claim he wasn't talking about just them in jerusalem he's talking about us today that we can have that thirst quenched eternally for us uh, by by his spirit so let's go ahead and close with prayer